0: Wise men follow him, they rose again. Wise men follow him. Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook, and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. You'll be hearing this on February 13th, Saturday. Chance of snow showers, mostly cloudy with a high near 16. Wind chills as low as 6 below. East wind, 7 to 10 miles an hour. Chance of precipitation, 50%. And that would be mostly flurries up in the north country, northern Maine. Bar Harbor's going to get a foot. They're right on the edge of this big, big storm that's going up the east coast. But it's just offshore. Cape Cod will probably get hit again. They've been getting a lot of snow down at Cape Cod. And Bar Harbor and maybe Eastport get a glancing blow, slide across New Brunswick and on out to Newfoundland. They're going to get dumped on again. Used to work out there. Saturday night, chance of snow showers before 9 a.m. mostly cloudy, the low around 4 below, wind chills 20 below, north wind 11 to 13 miles an hour. Sunday, mostly sunny and cold, high near 3, northwest wind around 11 miles an hour. That's the cold weather direction. Sunday night, clear with a low around 7 below, west wind 7 to 9 miles an hour. And Monday, Washington's birthday, sunny, well, that's when they celebrate it. Sunny with a high near 16, west wind around 6 miles an hour. And Monday night, chance of snow after 1 a.m., mostly cloudy, low around 9. Chance of precipitation, 40%. So we're finally having a little bit of a cold snap. It's not real cold for northern Maine. It's normal, but we haven't seen normal so far this winter Gas is $1.62 a gallon in Elliott and Auburn, down six cents from last week. Now, it's been dropping about a nickel a week for some time now. Gas is $2.08 in Otis, down one cent from last week. Diesel is $1.79 in South Portland, down three cents. And that's only 17 cents above the price of gasoline. So people with diesel vehicles whether they're cars or pickups are enjoying this because diesel's got more bounce to the ounce if you will and diesel is uh much more efficient the engines last longer all kinds of good stuff diesel is two sixty nine at Otis up seven cents this is one gas station that pops up in this uh report every now and then and out there in Otis on the airline. They're uh, a little out of touch with the rest of the market, but if you're in Otis and you need fuel, you don't have a lot of chance, a lot of choice. It's a long way to the next gas station. And <clears throat> there are two things that haven't been mentioned much in the media. Now I'm talking about Fox News, which I... I look at because I I look at Fox Business News mostly. And I listen to Fox because they report on stuff that's not covered in the rest of the so-called mainstream media, but they've got their own agenda. And their, their mainstream media is just that they're a little more specific and a little bit more conservative than CBS or NBC or whatever. They're And they're more entertaining also. The other ones appear to be bored. (laughs) Anyway, I listen to those guys, and you're starting starting to hear things that I've been reporting on for a year and a half. And unlike Rush Limbaugh, I don't regard this show as show prep for anybody. But things that I've seen are starting to crop up in the mainstream media. One word after the New Hampshire primary this week, one word that I did not hear at all in all of the discussions about about the results and the, what the news media regarded as surprises, the one word I didn't hear used is McConnell. Rich McConnell from Kentucky has been making war against his own state and the people that elected him. Now, he's the Senate president. He's Obama's best buddy because he personally handed a $1.1 trillion going away present to Barack Hussein Obama. A trillion, $1.1 trillion. People, you know, think trillion dollars, well... Trillion dollars must be like three billion or something. You know, they just don't understand the enormity of the overspending that's occurring in our country. Illiteracy is is a problem, but most people in this country can read and write. Innumeracy is a bigger problem. Numeracy is the inability to understand quantitative subjects. People think an acre or a thousand acres or a million acres, and they have no idea what what that really is. They can't picture it in their mind. They're not able to do it. They weren't ever taught to do it. And there are educators in our schools that are not quantitative thinkers. You know, an educator ought to be able to read and write and cipher. I mean, that. Back when our country was founded, teachers could do this. And you should have enough knowledge about your own topic, your own subject, that you're hard to fool. And students are being handed educational materials. It's like a list of things you have to do. And it stifles creativity. Common Core is a big, big part of that. Common Core has been creeping in over the years. It's become a big issue lately. People are becoming more aware of it. The average parent is not aware that his kid is being fed this garbage. And it's going to handicap the child for the rest of his life or her life if it's allowed to continue in the schools. And Being a natural-born whistleblower, (laughs) I'm working against this. And the teachers are starting to wake up. Because when a student goes into a classroom and sits down and takes a test on an iPad, this is a little folding tablet. Well, the cover is folding, at least. And this this little tablet is is a computer. And when you sit down to write something, you, you select that. Excuse me. The bottom half of the screen becomes a keyboard. The top half of the screen has a question. The student selects an answer or types in an answer, and that's it, and hits OK or return. And it goes to the next question. As a student takes the test, If the student is doing very well, the questions get harder and because they don't want kids to really stand out, so they make that kid's test harder. Meanwhile, another student, a couple of rows over, is not doing very well at all, so they make that student's questions easier during the test. So when the test is over, they're timed, so... When the test is over, no two students in that classroom have taken the same test. It's worse than that. The teacher doesn't see the test. The teacher doesn't know how the student got the grade that the student got on the test. And she can't go back and look and see where her students did well or did did poorly. And this is a big problem, because the teachers are going to be evaluated on the success of their students on these tests. And if all of a sudden, they're starting to wake up and say, wait a minute. My evaluation is going to be based on this test that I didn't create, I didn't see, and I don't even know what was tested in. In general, they know, but Going to, some kids are going to have deficiencies and there's going to be a few holes in the teacher's presentation because the teacher has certain interests that they want to promote and certain interests that they think are important. And they weren't tested on those items, despite the fact that the students were taught this and worked on it. It's, it's a, it, the old time would say it's a horror. <laughs> it's just, It's unfair. It's unfair to the teacher, it's unfair to the students, it's unfair to the parents, it's unfair to the taxpayers, and it's unfair to our nation. And it ought to be just eliminated, done away with. The tests are designed so that 30% of the students will fail the test. The reason for that is that when they have to do a retest, it's thirty five bucks a head or twenty bucks a head, depending on the subject and the testing company, Pearson in England is going to get the money that the school board has to kick in to retest the kid. It's your tax dollars and my tax dollars, and it comes out of our school budget, and we don't have any control over it Pearson is the is the big testing outfit. It is just so wretched and corrupt. It's incredible, and taxpayers don't know it. I wrote one letter to the editor last year around school budget time, and it got published in the Lincoln News. The other papers did not publish it because they didn't understand it. Written for somebody with an eighth-grade reading ability, you can go back and you look at your look at your. Uh, topic that you've written on. And you can punch it in the computer and it, the computer will tell you what level of reading ability uh, will appreciate and fully understand this topic. And I try to target mine for 8th grade, 10th grade. I can write stuff for college graduates and for PhD candidates. It's when necessary. If I want to communicate with that group, the average person would just lose interest and turn the page in the newspaper. I don't want to do that. I want the article to be read all the way to the end. And We've got a lot of flaws in our system as the system stands now. And we're losing our freedom in many respects you look at these folks that that protested out there in Oregon. They took over a seasonal national conservation area. And they've got an administration building there. <clears throat> and the sandhill cranes migrate through there. and Various other birds migrate through there. They're there for a few days in the spring. And they leave. They come back for a few days in the fall and they continue on, you know. And uh, these these uh, these cranes are, you know, big and pretty. And they like whooping cranes, but whooping cranes are endangered. There aren't that many whooping cranes around. Sandhill cranes are great big cranes. and, and uh, They're like a blue heron. We have a lot of blue herons in Maine. And we also have white herons in Maine. Not very many, but I've got a picture of one. who stopped by my camp just to look around. And they're big birds, and they feed on frogs and small fish and stuff. Some cranes are out in, in the fields, and they feed on grasshoppers, butterflies, and whatever they can catch. But they migrate through there, and they're there briefly. It doesn't need to be a federal wildlife area, you know nobody wants to shoot cranes and blue herons and things like that. They're not a game animal, and they've taken over huge areas out west i mean vast areas the state of nevada is has is the has the greatest amount of federal ownership in the lower forty eight states and Alaska, I think, has the greatest percentage, certainly the greatest acreage, but maybe also the greatest percentage of federal land. Residents of Alaska are quite limited as to what they can actually own. Very small percentage of their state. Maine has 95% or had 95% of the state was privately owned. The rest was government land. Of various kinds. You got the White Mountain National Forest over there on the New Hampshire border, and you've got uh, a preserve down near near uh, Princeton, Maine. Between Princeton and Callis there's a a preserve, and they've got a you got platforms up there where you can watch the eagles because the the, uh, the fish come in, and the eagles catch the fish. And yeah, it's, a, it's a fair size area down there. I've got photographs of the signs is entering federal area, you know. No trespassing. Just very limited access, like all of the government land. When the state of Maine takes over land and the land for Maine's future, we lose access every single time. One thing, something you used to be able to do, you can't do anymore. Used to be able to drive in, pick up, and park there on what used to be your uncle's land. And the timber company bought it, and the timber company swapped it off to the state for in exchange for some other piece that the state didn't need. And the timber company now has this other land where they can grow trees. But you can't drive your pickup in where you used to, and you can't park where you used to. And you can walk in there and take pictures of the posies. Walk in there and, and uh, go bird hunting. But if you've got a, an ATV and you're a handicapped person, you can't go in there anymore with the way you used to. We lose access every single time. I'm talking with a fellow about Baxter Park, talked about the north Northwest Gate. What do you mean, Northwest Gate? This guy visits this to Park on a a few times each summer, you know, with his family, and he'll stop at a picnic table and have a lunch. And, and I said, well, you used to be able to drive in up by Grand Lake Matagamon, drive across the northern part of the park, hang a right, and drive out the northwest gate or the Telos gate. It was called the Telos gate for years. And there really wasn't a gate there. It was just the exit. It says, leaving back to the park. Or, that is in the forestry demonstration area. Percival Baxter wanted the people to be able to log up there. You know, take high quality logs, manage it well. Cut cut out the trash wood and grow trees for saw logs, because saw logs had the highest value. Percival had a good vision for the park. And he he wanted the people of Maine to be able to use it for recreation and employment and for the logs. My my situation, I drive through the park, go out the northwest gate, drive up to Telos Lake. It's the shortest way to get there, the best road at the time. Now the road into Telos is, is, has been abandoned. You can't go down to the south end of Telos Lake by automobile. can't be done. You've got a, a pickup that's jacked up, big all-terrain tires. I don't know if it's cabled off right now. You might still be able to go in there, but it's unlikely if you do We better bring a chainsaw because of flow downs used to, that's first time I went down on the alash that's how that's how we went in. You can't do that anymore. used to be able to drive out the Westgate at Baxter Park, like down there by South Hunk Lake. There was a campground there. It's a private campground. And there was a beautiful lodge on the east side of South Hawk Lake, which has now been turned in. It's still one piece of property, but you own the building. So the camps that were there, you can buy, you know, those camps can be purchased. It's still private. But when you go out the west gate, you went headed from, from Baxter Park over to Sault Lake. And that was the, you know, that could be the best way to get access that area in case of the event of a woods fire, or in the event of a medical emergency. Can't do that anymore. Then down on the southwest part of Baxter, Baxter now goes all the way down to the West Branch. On the north side of the West Branch, down near the Aball Bridge, that land is now parkland purchased, you know, the landowner sold it to the park, and and they, uh, the park tore down the camps, the people there had camps for years and years tore down the camps, and that's that, they're creating wilderness, but they're reducing access, excuse me, just finally starting to get over this cold and there's no mute button. You can hang up and redial. That's not going to work. So I wish I had a, some kind of a mute button here. When government gets land, we lose access. It's true all across the country. Now, they just pulled a scam down on the Scudic Peninsula where federal government wants to expand Acadia Park. They want to expand everything. They want more and more government ownership. Now, the National Park Service is $600 million behind on maintenance projects. That's maintenance on the park itself, the roads, the trails, the bridges. They just they can't keep up. They're poor, poor utilizers. They're poor managers of what they own. They're supposed to represent us these parks supposedly are supposed to you know be a benefit to the public, and the parks are deteriorating all over the country. you know I get out there to and I have never been out to Yosemite for example, flew over it i've never never set foot on it. But the people that use it are complaining that you know they used to be able to go up to this little campground and stuff and enjoy themselves and it's all you know, there's no view from the campground anymore. It's all grown up there used to be a view there, but it's going back becoming more and more wild, and people you know our nation is aging. And people can't get around as well as they used to, and you can't go back and and do what you did 20 years ago because it's simply not possible. They're letting it go back. And it's, it's a sad thing. Now, when they've got the $600 million behind in scheduled maintenance, and they don't have the $600 million. But they're buying more and more properties. If you can't maintain what you've got, why would you buy more? It's like a slumlord buying up run-down buildings that he knows he can't maintain. And the federal government is like a wilderness slumlord, if you will. They don't maintain the land. When you're out in the west coast, anywhere west of Utah, they have these huge fires. And it was a big fire season this year because of, of uh, El Nino. And up on many of those slopes last year and this year both, they've had huge fires. And it's expensive and it's dangerous. It destroys the value of the land, and they're not able to do anything about it. Because they don't maintain the land. The adjacent private land doesn't burn. Now, why doesn't it burn? Well, the private landowner cuts brush, and they have controlled burns when it's safe to do so. And they've done it for years. Generations of people have owned this land. And the land managers know how to preserve the land. They'll have a controlled burn, burn the underbrush, and new new green growth comes, good for animal feed. Spotted owls or nocturnal bird. They they feed on the on the mice and the uh, various small animals that live on the ground. And they, uh, but the federal government doesn't want to burn anything they want to preserve and improve the forest, they want it to go back to to the way it was before man began to manage the land so the land would be more productive. Just it's it's illogical, inefficient, immoral, unresponsible. Irresponsible. So you think why in the world we we had a we had a hearing in Medway last fall, around October, November, to discuss Roxanne's dream of having a national park near the on the land that she owns. She would like to give it to the federal government this year. This is the hundredth anniversary of the National Park Service. They're gonna have a big celebration. And one of Clinton's uh, staffers made a famous st- statement. Clinton was writing executive orders all over the place. And Clinton Clinton's staffers said, stroke of the pen, law of the land. Heck of a deal. They create laws and rules without ever going through Congress. Obama loves it. Hillary loves it are going to have eight more years of Obama if they vote for Hillary. But we've got more people that vote for a living than work for a living. Back in, right at the end of, of Clinton's uh, presidency, the first Clinton, they had an area out in Utah called the Grand Escalante Staircase. Now, Clinton had said, we've got to burn low-sulfur coal to prevent acid rain. So they had to go to a higher-grade anthracite coal. Well, this Grand Escalante staircase in Utah has low-sulfur coal. So Clinton didn't want anybody digging up coal in Utah. I'll tell you why in a second. But he, had, he passed a rule, didn't pass, they just declared a rule, an executive order, that all coal-fired power plants had to burn low-sulfur coal. Well, that made the high-sulfur coal mines uh, very inefficient. Many of them shut down. We could export high-sulfur coal to China. Well, they could burn the high-sulfur coal in various other countries. It's still burning goes into the atmosphere, but we can't do it. So Clinton declared the Grand Escalante staircase to be a national monument. Stroke of the pen, law of the land. Heck of a deal. This could happen in the East Branch area of Maine, East Branch of the Penobscot, all the way over to the Baxter Park border. And west of Baxter Park, we'll get to that in a minute. So they had this this deal. Now, why would he shut down the largest deposit of low sulfur coal in the world? It's on the surface of the ground with sagebrush growing on it, very little topsoil. You can dig it up with a bulldozer. Why would he make that not available to our country when he just passed a law that said we had to use it? I know why. The second largest deposit of low sulfur coal in the world is in Indonesia. Well, who owns that coal deposit? The Riyadi family. Well, it just turns out that the Riyadi family was the largest single contributor to the re-election campaign of Slick Willie, Bill Clinton. Look it up. Riyadi family. Indonesia, coal, Clinton, Google it. Google can be your friend. And also will lead you down the rabbit hole in a totally wrong direction, something you didn't want. But the Riotti family was huge contributors to the Clinton campaign and the Clinton Foundation. <clears throat> so that's why you can't mine the coal in Utah. A fellow named Ted Cruz is running for president. and He says the first thing he's going to do is erase all of the Obama executive orders that are harmful to our case, our country. What a good idea. We don't have a perfect candidate in either party. We got what essentially is a socialist and a communist running in the Federal Democrat Party. And the uh, a crazy anti-gun guy from Maryland dropped out. we got a crazy anti-gun guy who wants to jump in and re- replace him. That's Mayor Bloomberg. He's a multi-billionaire from Wall Street. He's anti-gun guy. Meanwhile, the federal government has bought 350,000 bug-out bags. Are, they don't call it a bug-out bag, but that's what it is. They are emergency kits for employees, high-level employees, in the financial industry. The janitor isn't going to get one. But the heads of the various Federal Reserve banks and all of their top-level banking buddies, stock market people that, that the government favors, all have these... Emergency kits. Why would they have emergency kits? So they can walk home when it hits the fan. Because the bovine waste is going to hit the circular device. It's going to happen. And I can't predict exactly when it's going to happen, but it's coming. So the federal government is handing out $350,000 of these kits. They've got water bottles. They've got shoes and socks. They've got a rain poncho. And they've got granola bars. They're big on granola. And these kits are being handed. They're, they come in fanny packs. You just put a belt around your waist and you've got this pack on. And they're food and water for three days so that you can walk home from your job when it's no longer available. The subways aren't going to be running in New York City, and lots of things aren't going to be happening. And the public is going to be very dissatisfied with the results of the adjustment. I call it the adjustment. stock market is in a relatively sharp decline and the financial markets all over the world are in sharp decline. And I said on the show here a couple of times in the past, and I'll repeat this in the future, it's 2016. Do you know where your IRA is tonight? A lot of people, the biggest single asset in their lives, bigger than their house, is your IRA. When you retire from your employer, you're going to be able to collect so much a month for the rest of your life. It's your pension. There are still a lot of people in this country that have pensions, mostly middle class and upper middle class. Beyond that, people have investments in various securities. But this money... If you've got certificates, of, and your certificates of deposit are all available to you now, if you take out a CD early, you're gonna to have to pay a penalty because the bank expected to have this. But guess what's happening? You know, if you've got ten thousand dollars in the bank, you're gonna get seventy-five bucks at the end of the year. That's it. That's what you're going to earn the $10,000 you put in. And the 10000 that you put in into the CD is going to be worth a lot less than it was when you put in. You can't buy as much. And the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen, who is the spokesperson for the Federal Reserve now, she's got the title of chairman. But That's not really who runs it. And she has said that we're going to have to go to negative interest rates. So if you want to put $10,000 in the bank, you're going to have to pay the bank to hold it. It used to be that we had opportunity in this country, and a bank would lend out your $10,000 to somebody to to build a home. And they would pay interest on this as a mortgage. And you would get part of that interest back it was it's the lubrication it's the it's how we grease the wheels in our financial system. People rent out their money. you could rent it out to the bank and the bank would pay you interest on it back when Jimmy Carter was president every the wheels came off, and we had rampant inflation, twelve percent inflation every year. then we had. 18% home mortgages if you wanted to buy buy a house you got to pay 18% interest on a home mortgage well Ronald Reagan got elected put a stop to that we got back to normal and we got our comp- company yeah, our country began to prosper again but we don't have that now we have 95 million Americans not working these are citizens. You know, some are stay-at-home moms homeschooling. Some, some families have enough income from from dad that mom doesn't have to work, and she can take the kids to soccer practice and, and do her community benefit activities. Because most citizens actually contribute to the to their own communities in various ways. Yesterday. I went to the food pantry and picked up a whole load of food for the food pantry. Brought it out to the food pantry and unloaded it. Pretty good load yesterday. Good stuff. I mean, they had frozen steak and eclairs and uh, really good vegetables. They had organic eggs, four eggs to a package. They're expensive, but they were going to be overage because they're more expensive than, than the regular 18 eggs to a package. They're the lowest cost eggs in the store. But they have these gourmet eggs. And they're not any better for you than the other eggs, but but they're, people buy them because they think it's cool. And I got a product that I never even saw before that was going to go overage. They have 1 quart of egg whites. So, in a factory, where they use egg yolks in bak in mixes, for example, cake mixes have egg yolks in them. Well, the white gets gets put into a tank and they they package it up like a quart of milk. So you got a quart of egg egg whites in. Excuse me. And they, they're great for lemon meringue pie or meringues of any kind. And In my family, I am the waffle king. I make waffles. And I grill the steaks. I don't do much. My wife makes a great beef stew. I had one this week. But egg, what I do is I beat up egg whites with an egg beater. And when I make waffles, I get the regular waffle batter, but I put in the egg whites and fold that in, and it makes the waffles much lighter, They're very light and tender and golden brown, just right and you get more waffles out of the same amount of of uh, ingredients. So more waffles makes more people happy and uh, really good waffles. I like real maple syrup. Real blueberries. Just Saturday morning waffles are are special things sometimes. And they put a plug in for the town of Springfield. First and third Saturdays in Springfield, Maine, the Snowmobile Club has uh, a breakfast. And they have got waffles. These, These waffle irons are the kind you see in motels. You dump them in there and you they, they cook and you flip the thing over and lift up the top and there's your big, big Belgian waffle style waffles and eggs any way you want them, sausage, coffee, home baked beans, orange juice. I mean it's a feed. It's a big breakfast. You don't need a you don't need any lunch that day. First and third Saturdays downtown Springfield, right in the center of town. And it's it is it's a feed. Good people, good club. Just one of the high points of of uh the lower part of northern Maine. First and third Saturday, Springfield, Maine. another highlight coming up. Uh next weekend, the twentieth and twenty first, we've got an apple seed. It's called a winter seed. Ah, here we go. Service with a smile. My wife brought me a cup of water. <laughs> Look, maybe it'll knock down on my cough. Thank you, dear. So we uh, we got an apple seed in Monmouth, Maine. You drive down to Augusta, hang a right, go down 202 to the southwest, 12 miles from Augusta, is Monmouth, and right there on Route 202 is the Monmouth Fishing Game Club. Great facility, lots of different ranges, and we're going to have what's called a winter seed. Appleseed, we do apple seeds year-round. We teach the history of what happened April 19, 1775, and we teach people to be riflemen each of the accumulated knowledge of 600 years of riflery. I said, wait a minute. Lexington and Concord was only 235 years ago, approximately. So what do you mean 600 years? Well, the Germans invented the rifle 600 years ago. And the first rifle bullets were square. They made square rifle barrels. And they fired square bullets, not cubes. Now it's short, real short, but they were they were square bullets. And they figured if they if if they could catch the air, that they wouldn't fly off in all directions like a ball does. And round balls were inherently inaccurate until they discovered rifling. And then they soon went to round rifle barrels, tubes that were rifled on the inside. And lo and behold, you can really hit stuff out there a long ways. And Daniel Morgan had a rifle company in Pennsylvania. And the criteria to be a a rifleman was that you'd be able to hit a pumpkin at 250 yards? Now, pumpkins in 1775 were the size of a man's head. There weren't any thousand pound pumpkins back during the Revolutionary War. We have, we've gradually grown bigger and bigger pumpkins genetically. So they saved the seeds from the biggest pumpkin. And then you save the seeds from the biggest pumpkin the next year. And you keep doing that, and the pumpkins keep getting bigger and bigger. Now, they changed very. The that They had a grew of pumpkin in western Maine that weighed, you know, something like 1,400 pounds. to go it to the Fibery Fair, and it was light yellow. It wasn't an orange pumpkin. It was almost like an albino pumpkin. And you probably hit that with the mus- musket <laughs> that they had in 1775. We teach people to fire a rifle accurately. Teach them to do it safely. We've never had an accident at an apple seed shoot. We don't want to have any. We first thing we do is we greet them, we tell them what apple seed is all about, and we talk about safety. The very first thing. Line them in, collect the money, and get on with it. Very intense. It goes two days, all day Saturday till sunset, and so all day we we can't fire before nine o'clock Sunday morning, at most ranges. So we start at nine and go till sunset. Sunset's getting a little later. <clears throat> sunset is now five o'clock, or at least it's it's bright enough to shoot until five o'clock, unlike December. And if you go to a winter seed <clears throat> and you earn a rifleman patch you get a winter seed patch you coveted. it Says I did it in the winter time winter seed patch is blue and white with black trim on the edges with white icicles hanging off the bottom of the patch and there are not a lot of people that have those down in Texas, they says we've got to do something. We have what we call a winter seed. Down in Texas, they have what they call an inferno seed. And instead of icicles hanging off the bottom of the patch, they got flames coming off the top of the patch. And they're, they're uh, red color. That's if you earn an apple seed patch when it's over 100 degrees Fahrenheit in the blazing sun. I've been in blazing sun and I've been in the Antarctic. I'll take the Antarctic any day. <laughs> I don't like blazing sun. I wouldn't want to earn an infernal seed patch firing a rifle on <clears throat> firing a rifle on a rifle range when it's over 100 degrees. I've been around a lot of gunfire when it's 100 degrees in Vietnam. I've got a picture of one of my door gunners. And his arm is tan from the wrist up to the elbow, but his hand is white. What the heck? You know, why would that be? That's because he was wearing gloves because you can't touch anything metal, you burn your hand in the sun. I mean, it might be 100, 105 degrees, but that black Huey, I did, <clears throat> I did fly black helicopters we were required to use green paint on our helicopters. So we simply mixed one gallon of green with one gallon of black and painted the helicopter. And you get it in the right light, it does have kind of a greenish tinge. But boy, I'll tell you, the reason that leaves on trees are green is that green is the most absorbent color other than black. And you touch anything that's been in the sun it's going to be hot you could fry an egg on a Huey literally I mean, people talk about being able to fry an egg on the pavement well you could fry an egg on a Huey if you can find a flat spot so at uh Our apple seed is 20th and the 21st, Saturday and Sunday next week, Monmouth, Maine, Route 202. Drive down to Augusta or up to Augusta or wherever. It is 12 miles southwest of Augusta. They got some good motels down there. And uh, motels, you ask, call a motel, make a reservation. It's all kinds of different reservation services. The local travel agent is gone; they're extinct. There aren't local travel agents anymore because anybody can get online and make a motel reservation. Just call them up. Say, "What's the best you can do? I'm coming to Augusta, and they'll give you a good rate because that place is not going to be full. There is no competition. The only competition is price." And it's just like the price of gasoline is declining, and it will continue to decline. It will fluctuate a little bit through the year this year, but it's going to be down. And it's going to be down for one reason, lack of demand. People are not traveling as much. And the government has said you got to burn corn, alcohol, in the gasoline, So that cuts down on the amount of petroleum that we use. Farmers in the Midwest love it. They had, the the caucuses out in Iowa, and those farmers want people to burn ethanol in their vehicles. It's bad for the vehicle. It's bad for outboard motors, chainsaws, weed whackers, anything. All small engines. Wood splitters. I lost the engine in a wood splitter. I lost the engine in an ATV. Because two-cycle oil doesn't mix well with ethanol. It tends to separate out. And ethanol absorbs water right out of the air. Bad for your engines. But it's good for Idaho. Iowa, excuse me, Iowa. Because they grow corn. The government pays them to grow corn. It takes 1.4 gallons of diesel to produce one gallon of ethanol. The ethanol has less energy per gallon than diesel or gasoline. They have to burn more gas to go the same distance at a higher cost. It's a tax. Very inefficient. But the environmental industry loves it. The environmental industry wants to, has the same goal, essentially, as ISIS. They want to take us back to a 7th century tyrannical type of of existence. That's a sobering thought. But if you look at the list on the agenda of the environmental industry, and you look at the agenda for Taliban or ISIS or whatever, they're the same. They're tyr- tyrannical. They don't like it when we make these comparisons. But well, if you read the quotes, they're there. They had a Democratic debate last night. <laughs> I didn't even know it was going to happen. They do it during times when it it's people are actually unlikely to see it. <laughs> but Bernie Sanders and, and Hillary Clinton had the debate, and I'm told that they were all softball questions. But you got a socialist running against a communist. And the difference between a socialist and a communist is that a communist... Is a socialist in a hurry. They want to do all these things right now. And they do this by killing people. They thin them out. I walked on the dikes of Cambodia. Been there. And the communists, you know, take over countries by killing lots of people. I mean, Stalin killed a lot more people during World War II than the Germans did. lot more. He took over the Ukraine and starved them out. Killed millions of people in the Ukraine. This Ukraine was a lot of very efficient independent farmers. And communists don't like independent people who are self sufficient. State of me. You know, they want people the the Democrats want people to live in core service communities in government approved housing condominiums the guy that owns a login truck can't commute to and from work in his login truck from a government approved condo in a core service community but they don't want us to cut wood anyway they see Cutting trees is as, as murder. You're killing this beautiful living thing. Yesterday oil dipped below twenty six dollars a barrel. It was twenty five dollars and change, twenty five ninety three or something, but it hasn't been that low since nineteen eighty three. A long time. 83, 93, 03, 13, 33 years. It's down there. And it's gonna stay down in that area. <clears throat> oil wells are unemployment is skyrocketing in the oil, in the oil industry because they're not they don't need new wells. So they're not drilling new wells. There's an awful lot of oil drilling rigs that are idled right now. In North Dakota, and in West Texas. And they just found three giant oil fields. This is not some pocket of natural gas or or some little pocket of oil they found. These are whole fields, giant fields of oil in the Gulf of Mexico. We've got enough petroleum reserves in our nation last us 3,000 years. We're not running out of oil. <coughs> Several years ago, they had a bunch of fanatics on the internet screaming, peak oil, peak oil. Oil is going to decline. We're going to run out of oil. They were just promoting the oil industry. They were paid to do that. Now the oil industry is is phasing out a lot of operations Capping wells, and these wells are going to be good in the future. They, they are. They can all crack that well open, take the cap off, and frack it. When they fracture the 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 rock that the oil is in, the oil flows very easily to the well, and they can pump pump oil out of old wells. Baker State oil was one of the oldest oil companies. Pennsylvania is the Quaker state. It had lots of Quakers in Pennsylvania. And then Mennonites and Amish and lots of German based farmers came over to this country because it had freedom and they good good fertile soils. Wonderful place for farmers. A lot of people came from Germany and they brought the rifle with them. Daniel Morgan had a standard for his rifleman, and his rifle company. The only rifle company in in North America at that time. And his standard was that you had to be able to hit a pumpkin at 250 yards. Now, if you couldn't hit the pumpkin at 250 yards, you could be a cook in Daniel Morgan's rifle company until you could hit that pumpkin which is about an eight or nine inch pumpkin. If you could hit that pumpkin 250 yards with a rifle firing a round ball, you could be a rifleman. And he was quite a self-confident, assertive type of individual. And he wrote a letter to King George in England. And he said, King George? If you want to send any more of your officers over to America, you tell them to put their affairs in order because there is not a man in my rifle company that cannot shoot a red officer in the head at 250 yards. Well, when they, when they published that in the London newspapers, a whole lot of those officers decided, I would rather post to India than go over to the colonies. Because when you the most effective soldier on the battlefield is a sniper. Fact, he is the most effective soldier on the battlefield. And if you haven't seen the movie American Sniper, it's probably available on CD now or DVDs. You ought to see it. A, it tells it's a very dramatic story. And another one you ought to see pertains to the military is 13 hours. And it's what Hillary Rodham Clinton did to those Americans who were contracted with the CIA. The CIA has, has civilian contractors who protect the CIA individuals and assets overseas. And governments understand this. I mean, when when the Queen of England or one of the princes comes over here, they bring their own security. They carry firearms, that's necessary. The ones they feel are most efficient, and they travel with the, the, uh, the royal family. No question about local firearms laws. If they go to Baltimore, go to Fort McHenry our national anthem is oh say can you see from the dawn's early light and the rockets red glare are rockets from the British ships that were trying to to conquer Fort McHenry in Baltimore and the British go there the British go to Lexington and Concord because there are granite monuments there that say here lie British soldiers when the British went back to Boston that day on April 19th, 1775, they left an awful lot of dead and wounded behind. We buried the dead. Some of them were buried right in churchyards with our people. And some were just buried where they fell, in small groups, and they would bury them. And no dog tags. You know, They didn't know these people's names. It just says, here lie British soldiers. You know what a history! What a tale of great courage and adventure this is we have in Project Appleseed next week, the twentieth and twenty first Monmouth fishing game. You can hear it live it and become a safer rifleman. We get people that have you know all their lives hunted and fished in Maine even match shooters who have competed in rifle matches around the country, they will come away a better shooter than when they arrived. We teach them how. About to run off the end of the world here. i got to get back up here and, and close her out. This has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, The Conscience of Maine, broadcast today in Maine on WXME 780, in 1700 a.m. in Westbrook, 88.1 FM in Oro, 96.5 FM in Brewer and Bangor, Maine. Be careful out there. The ice is safer than it was, but it's still got thin patches at the mouth of the brook or where the the brook runs out of the lake. Careful. The water is cold. That's it. Be safe. God bless. Wise men follow him. Wise men follow him. Thank God for the rain and the lands they lead. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.